Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I'm excited you're listening in for season five, friend, where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, we're featuring my German exchange daughter, Leonie. Leonie shared in the first episode of this month about her growing up in Germany the new experience of coming to the U.S. and encountering Christians. And also she talked about some of her biggest questions related to faith. We also had an in-depth conversation with Frank Turek in last week's episode. And for those of you who didn't hear them, we also had some great talks with guests back in June when Leone stood in, so to speak, for Tati during that month's episodes. Uh, We talked so much back then in May that she says she doesn't have any more questions, (laughs) which is uh, honest and and okay. (laughs) But she can listen, or you can listen to those conversations on your favorite podcast um, app or go directly to findingsomethingreal.com where you'll also find other things like free resources an occasional blog post and also how you can help financially support this program. Um, thank you especially to our Patreon supporters. You can find out more about that at findingsomethingreal.com. If you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Well, Leonie, it's 6 a.m. You have graduation rehearsal in a couple hours. Um, this is an honest question. You can give me an honest answer. What are you doing here? <laughs> Well, so first of all, I really like the conversations that we had in the past on this podcast. So I think this one will be pretty good as well. So that was my motivation to get up this morning. And then I just like to spend time with you. I mean, next week. So I thought making memories. So this is a memory. And I've, I've kind of hyped up this one, didn't I? Yeah. I mean, I told you both. So what's really great, too, is that I'm happy because you're not the only one here today. Joining us again as kind of a sneak peek of what's to come later this season is the very lovely Zoe, um, exchange student from France. And Zoe, you're back. How are you? And uh, I could ask you the same question. Why are you here today? <laughs> well, I'm also here because I like having conversation uh, here with people that have a different opinions than me. That made me think a lot and I love that. Yeah. Well, I love both of you girls and I'm sad that you're going to be leaving and 
Leone, uh, when this airs, you'll be overseas, but uh, right now you're just downstairs, and we've got one more week with you exactly from today. And then, uh, Zoe, I know you're leaving my friends at Grossier's in a couple weeks, and uh, you both have been such a blessing to this community and uh, to our, our family. So I'm just really grateful for both of you. And I am super excited, and I know that I, I did say, oh, my gosh, I, I'm so excited about this one guest. Um, I, I'm excited about all the guests, but uh, today's uh, guest I've been, like, specifically thinking of for a very long time. Um, I've been hoping and praying that she would come back on, and she she agreed. So uh, born and raised in France, our guest today has lived over the last two decades on three continents, four countries, and five cities through six professional roles. Her current Gospel Spice Ministries team is made of seven women. I don't... I, I, I didn't double check before I said all that, so maybe it's changed since uh, last she was on here. But she's a wife, mom, podcaster, public speaker, Bible teacher, former women's ministry director, and strategy consultant. And she is 100% French. And also, friend, here's a commercial. You need to listen to her podcast, the Gospel Spice podcast. She has really beautiful interviews on her show. And just last year, she interviewed Dallas Jenkins. Uh, Zoe, you'll uh, be interested in this. The director and creator of one of the most amazing evangel- evangelistic entertainment tools out there today, uh, the Chosen series. Zoe, I know you've been watching that. Uh, Dallas and his wife Amanda were on her podcast. And also our guest today just recently had Jonathan Evans on her podcast, who, if you don't know, is someone who's passionate eulogy at his mom's celebration of life service has been uh, one of the most beautiful YouTube videos uh, that I've ever shared. Um, anyway, we seem to like some of the same things and have similar taste in Dream Guests. And I happen to know we are both very fond of European chocolate as well. Uh, both of these girls know about that. So I'm super excited to welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, Stephanie Roussel. Stephanie, welcome Oh, back. Janelle, so good to be with you today. <laughs> You're so, so fun. So people want to know more about how to find your podcast where can they find yeah it? sure well just next door from yours really on the same you know <laughs> listening app that you're using gospelspice.com uh, we organize regular online bible studies as well and this fall we're going to be diving into part two of a series we started in the spring titled god's glory our delight which happens to be my personal motto and we can dive into that so i grew up atheist and so for an atheist to end up saying that her passion in life is to delight in god that's an interesting conversation right there. <laughs> it is that I want to dive in in just a second. But real quick, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about Gospel Spice because it's kind of got an interesting concept. What What is it about your ministry? Yeah, you so doing? we encourage believers to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we do that for people who have experienced maybe a measure of staleness in their relationship with God. If you've been walking with God for a while, maybe if you grew up a Christian, which again is not my case, nor is the case of our lovely ladies here. Um, but it's like, okay, like how do I make sense of my faith in ways that are fresh and that are a little different from all the cliches. Uh, so even as an atheist, I mean, I grew up with a lot of cliches about the Christian faith and I thought they were accurate until I realized they were not. They were, uh, I was experiencing religion, quote unquote, through the lens of my favorite atheist authors. And I thought they were being objective. And I realized there's no such thing as objectivity, really. <laughs> and so if you want to understand someone's worldview, you have to go to the people who actually have that worldview. And in that sense, that was kind of part of my journey from atheism to realize that what 
um, again, my atheist author friends and heroes were telling me about the Christian faith actually was not completely accurate. And then, you know, this was literally almost 30 years ago. And now on the Christian side of things, I'm also realizing that there's a lot of things that we take for granted as Christians. And it's always, always good to shake things up a little bit and to not be content with leftovers spiritually speaking. So I'm French. I like good food. And so I don't like leftovers, especially when you um, nuke them in the microwave for about 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, it's going to like nourish your body and give you somewhat, I guess, the nutrients you need, but it's not going to taste really good. And what I like to do is put it in the oven, add some fresh spices on top, and it's probably going to taste even better than what it did last night in the restaurant. Because you see, that's what Americans do really well. And I'm sure Zoe and Leone, you discovered that, is that Americans do everything bigger, right? Have you noticed yeah. that? <laughs> Everything's bigger. I mean, houses are bigger, cars are bigger. I would venture to say some of the people are bigger too. <laughs> <laughs> and food. I mean, the food yeah. portions of the restaurant are way too big, right? There's no way you can eat everything on your plate. So you take it home and you put it in the microwave the next day. And so with Gospel Spice is that we take those spiritual leftovers that might taste just stale. And instead, we just invite Christians into a deeper intimacy with God through just fresh spices that we sprinkle on top of things. So that's kind of what we do. Wow, what a beautiful ministry. Find out more at gospelspice.com. Yep. Um, Stephanie, last time you were here, you shared with Lou uh, from Italy and, and myself about your story. Um, I'd love for you to do that again with Leone and Zoe. Um, I know Jesus has changed your life, uh, but would you share about how you came to faith and what was your life like before becoming a Christian? Sure. So, yeah, I grew up in France uh, near Bordeaux, southwest. Uh, so kind of across the country from where Zoe is from in Lyon. And um, I just had a very typical middle-class French childhood with a big focus on academic excellence. So these were kind of the virtues in my house. I learned classical Latin, Greek, definitely atheist. Um, yeah, my dad was very angry at God. And just uh, for someone who was an atheist, there was a lot of anger at someone who technically did not exist to him. But uh, so I grew up in that. And uh, again, academic excellence was the virtue that we were pursuing in our family. Um, and so one of my goals in life was to have a successful business career and I needed to speak English to do that. And so before I went to college in France, I did my senior year of high school in the US and I went for an entire year, just like Leonie and Zoe can relate to. This was 30 years ago, so there was no internet, there were no emails. So when you left, you left. I mean, we did have microwaves and electricity, uh, but that's pretty much it, girls, right? There was no social media, there was no internet, like literally <laughs> snail mail. Um, and so I remember, you know, moving stateside for a year in a, in a host family and having very little contact with my family of origin for that year, except for like the one 10 minute phone call that was so expensive at the time. And um, it just so happened that the family I was staying with were Christians and I had never really actually met Christians before. I had met them, like I said, through the pages of my atheist intellectual author heroes, um, but never really flesh and blood people. And when they told me they were Christians, I was picturing people who would, you know, maybe go to mass on Easter and Christmas, because that's kind of what I envisioned it could be like. And instead, I found myself with people who had a very real relationship with God. And that just 
was not a category. I didn't have a box for that. And because they were very kind and loving, we had a lot of conversations. And so I love what you're doing, Janelle, because I went through this exact process, uh, but without, it wasn't structured. It, it was just, you know, midnight conversations on, you know, we were sitting on the kitchen countertops and just having conversations. And so, I mean, we can go into more detail, but I pretty quickly became convinced intellectually uh, that Jesus was a historical figure who had actually risen from the dead. And I set out to prove the resurrection hadn't happened. Um, no one has been able to prove that. I was not able to prove it either. Uh, and a lot of people come to faith that way because I think the linchpin, and Paul says it very clearly. I mean, Paul himself, I mean, the big defender of the Christian faith, he says, if you want to prove that Christianity is wrong, disprove the resurrection. So there you go. I mean, that became my marching orders, right? I mean, hey, it's got to be done. And so a uh, little bit of intellectual arrogance right there. I was 17 years old. You can forgive that. And um, <laughs> I just very, as if you're serious about understanding the Christian faith, you have to focus on the resurrection. Did it or did it not happen? If it didn't, Christianity is a hoax, period, end of discussion. But if it did, then you have at least an intellectual problem because what do you do with someone who raises from the dead after they've been dead for like technically not a full three days as we understand three days, but roughly like a little over 36 hours. What do you do with that? Because it doesn't happen. I mean, even today, people do not resurrect after being dead 36 hours. There's a lot of near-death experiences. People can be dead, uh, medically speaking, for a few seconds, a few minutes, but not 36 hours when there is no refrigeration system to keep your body cool and like hopefully cryogenics or things like that, right? So I went through all of that and very quickly realized, like seriously, the resurrection happened. Uh, historically speaking, intellectually speaking, it happened. But then it's very uncomfortable for an atheist to be convinced that the resurrection is a historical fact because it blows all of your categories out of the water. So then I personally found myself between having to choose between two things, either just cannot dismiss the whole thing, ignore it, ostrich style, just put my hand in the sand and just forget and ignore it. And that that's, I mean, people do that. That's fine. Or you follow the path where it takes you. If you have intellectual integrity, then you have to be honest with the consequences of what you're discovering, even if it's not what you want to discover. If you are committed to truth and you are convinced that something happened, even if it's not something that you want, then what are you going to do with it? And so for me, it became this little wrestling with my atheism and the fact that what am I going to do with this resurrection that doesn't fit in my atheist worldview? And I, I tried so hard to make it fit because I did not want to move from atheism because here's the thing. It's one thing to be convinced of the intellectual truth of the resurrection. It's another for it to mean that God is trustworthy. These are two, in my mind, at least, they were two very separate things. Okay, maybe there was a guy named Jesus who rose from the dead. And he claimed to be God. Okay, let's even say he's God. Okay, well, that doesn't mean he's trustworthy. That doesn't mean I can surrender my life to him. I'm a control freak. I'm doing pretty good taking care of myself. Thank you very much. I, I don't know that I can trust him. Why, why should I? The fact that he rose from the dead, I'm sorry, that doesn't establish his trustworthiness. 
So how do I, and I had massive trust issues, by the way, dysfunctional family. My dad was a mess and it was very messed up. So big father figure issues. So basically I don't trust people. So I'm not going to trust God. I'm just not like, seriously, why would I do that? I can take care of myself until you realize that it has all to do with who God really is. And I think uh, for people who come from a postmodern worldview, what's really important is to get to the bottom of who God is. And my personal journey has been one of discovering that God has a lot of qualities that I don't have. To be, let's be very selfish for a moment. Like let's be self-serving. What's in it for me? What's in it for me is that God knows a whole lot more than I do. He's a lot more able to bring forth what is good for me because the third thing is that God is totally committed to my good. And actually he's so committed, he's more committed to my good than I am. And he cannot mess things up the way I'm honestly really good at messing things up. And he doesn't do that. So it was a slow process of realizing that not only is God for me, but he really has the means to make happen on my behalf things that I simply do not have the means to make happen on my behalf. And so all of a sudden, it just makes a whole lot more sense. And I'm fast forwarding into the future here, but it makes more sense to trust him than to trust myself. And so the great secret, I think, of a deep intimacy with God is to truly surrender to him. And that's a that's a very offensive word in many ways, but to go, you know what, God, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what's good for me better than I do. And you can make it happen. And I can't, so I'm going to choose to realize that my mind, um, as much as I trust it is not as trustworthy as you are. And so for me, the linchpin, the secret of the Christian faith is to come to the realization that we have a much bigger champion than we can have if it's just us. I can be my own champion or I can trust him to be my champion. And over the years, I have found that he makes a whole lot of a better champion for my own life than he does, than I, than I would on my own. And then forget about all the side benefits, you know, but just, you know, I'm trying to be extremely self-serving on purpose because that's how I came to faith is I was a very self-centered, self-serving atheist. And so what's in it for me was my question. Does that make sense, Janelle? Mm-hmm. Girls, Zoe, Leonie? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear the girls' mm-hmm. reaction to that before I ask the next question. Um, I can personally totally relate to the first part that even like if the resurrection is like historically proven that it's really hard for me to, even if I don't have doubts that the resurrection happened, for example, it would be really hard for me to surrender my life to God. So even, even though if I would know that he exists, it will be really hard to change my worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like with changing my worldview when it comes to God, like my whole life would change completely. And I don't know if I'm ready for this. So. You have a beautiful life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I And Leonie, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to mischaracterize you, but kind of piggybacking on that. 
Um, I believe it was a conversation we had with Frank Turek last week, um, or that aired last week, um, that you said, although your disbelief in God is waning, uh, your objections, um, that you're not sure you'd want to know if he's real. Uh, because perhaps, and this I'm guessing, but you already just shared it, maybe he'd mess up the plans for your life. Um, yeah. Stephanie, I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, and did you have that? I'm okay. sure you have something to say. <laughs> yeah. So, Leonie, um, you're absolutely right. He will mess up your plans. <laughs> but in a good way. He's actually going to make it better than you can ever imagine. Because here's the thing. And, and again, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. I had a pretty good plan for my own life. I knew what I wanted. Um, I actually did pretty well by the world standards. Um, but then one of the best illustrations, and I'm going to take this from uh, another guy, an, an Englishman called C.S. Lewis. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, when we look at our plans for our lives and we're afraid that God is going to mess it up, it's because we are like a child who is sitting in a puddle and is content with the puddle because they cannot imagine what the ocean is like. So basically, what if you're clinging to a puddle when you could have the ocean and you don't know it? And there's only one way to find out is to get out of the puddle and go to the ocean. You cannot stay in the puddle and experience the ocean. So you have a choice. Now, here's the thing. Because I was a control freak, and God and I are working on it, but I'm still kind of a bit of a control freak. But recovering, I'm a recovering control freak. Um, Leonie, I was so terrified of exactly what you're describing that I behaved like a complete wimp. And here's the thing. God takes a wimpiness because God does not expect you to have your act together in order to come to him. He does not expect you to clean you up from the puddle in order to come to the ocean. He's just inviting you to come to the ocean, even if you still have the mud from the puddle on you. He's not asking you to clean yourself up, to have your act together, to have it all figured out. He's just saying, just come over the hill. You're in the puddle. Just come over the hill to the ocean on the other side of the hill. That's all. And then just taste and see if you like it. So my personal story, I think, I, I describe as like the most pathetic conversion story in the history of mankind, because you will hear stories of people who have this like epiphany and this revelation from God. And it's all of a sudden they know that's what they're supposed to do. Right. Yay. Awesome. That happens. Not my story. My story is the opposite of that. My story is more like a wrestling, a wrestling match with God where it's like, I don't want to believe in you because that's too scary. But how can you not believe with someone you're physically wrestling with? I mean, wrestling is, it sounds like, Leonie, you are wrestling with God right now. It's, it's like hand-to-hand -hand combat. You cannot, it's not over Zoom. I mean, this isn't like a very remote, you're like, God and you are like gripping each other. You can't ignore his presence because he's like literally in your face. <laughs> So that's very uncomfortable. I mean, a wrestling match is hand-to-hand -hand physical combat that is very painful. And your soul right now is wrestling with God and you don't know what to make of it. So the way I dealt with that, being again, like in agony and wrestling and not knowing what to do and just wanting to make the right choice, being terrified of, is God trustworthy or not? The problem with trust is that you cannot know something or someone is trustworthy until you try it. Like I'm sitting on a chair right now. 
the only way I know this chair is going to support my weight is because I'm sitting on it. Like you have to actually, if I was just leaning against the chair with my feet on the ground, I wouldn't actually know whether the chair is truly trustworthy. I have to sit on it, get my feet off the ground and see if it actually supports my weight, which means I'm taking a risk. I mean, it's a small risk. It's a chair in my dining room. I mean, right. But you know what I'm saying? Well, that's kind of what you have to do with God. What I did with him is that I, when I came to that place where I kept hearing how, you know, the ocean and the puddle style and how it would just be so much better to taste and see. Same thing with food. Okay. I love food. And we talked about chocolate. There's no way you can know that you're going to like something until you actually taste it. Right. I mean, I don't know if you tried peanut butter. I hate that thing. It's <laughs> something like American mint. I discovered like in the mint. States. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's like peanut butter or mint. It's like, you, you know, you'll like it because you tried it. Right. I had heard of peanut butter when I lived in France 30 years ago and no one had ever eaten the stuff because we like good food. And obviously peanut butter is terrible. <laughs> Zoe, do you like peanut butter? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> yeah, of course she doesn't. She's well, you know, she's well cultured. Of course she doesn't like peanut butter. How could she? <laughs> anyway, just joking. Right. But the only way I knew that I didn't like it is because I tried it. So. You can spit it out if you don't like it. So again, what I told God is, okay, God, like I kind of want to taste, but I don't want to commit. So here's what we're going to do, God. And please hear my arrogance. And that's okay. Cause when you're 17 or 18, you, it's okay. It's part of the deal. Um, God, I'm going to, for one week, I'm going to stop fighting what I know to be true. For one week, God, I'm giving you one week to convince me I'm going to taste for a week, taste and see. Um, and if I don't like it, God, I'm taking my life back. So one week of, but I had to be like honest too, right? It's uh, for one week, I'm not going to fight you. I'm actually going to believe that everything about you that I've been told by Janelle, by everything I've heard, that it's true, that what you say about me is true. Um, and I'm going to start having a relationship with you on the basis of that. It's like dating, but just for a week with a deadline, because it's like no commitment, right? I mean, if you go out with a guy for a week, but you know, at the end of the week, it's like, right? So it's a different kind of relationship, but you still get to taste. <laughs> I, I don't know what would happen to you if she chose to do that. But for me, what happened is that the wrestling match stopped and you don't realize how exhausting wrestling is until you stop. And I was so tired of wrestling with God. And it was so good to just stop fighting with my heart. What I knew with my head was actually true because it's exhausting. We're not wired to have this separation between our brain and our hearts. Like we're meant to be connected as a human being. And when we fight God, we actually disconnect from who we are. And so for a week, I was unconsciously allowing that connection to, to be restored. Um, and it brought me a whole lot of peace and joy. It really did. And it really helped me in my process during that week to taste that God actually is trustworthy. It didn't solve all of my problems. Didn't, like I said, it wasn't like this flashlight from heaven. Um, but it, it carried me to the next level, which is to surrender at a deeper level. Because 
again, that is the thing with the Christian life. It is about surrender. Um, I had one great fear. Um, and I don't know if I've shared this, Janelle, before. My great fear, where when I was in your, in your shoes, Leonie, where I, I, I didn't know what to do in terms of, should I, what should I do in order to determine whether God is trustworthy? Because it's attractive, but it sounds extremely dangerous. It's like, it's like swimming with a big shark. So it's like diving off a big cliff. Like there's no going back. What I, you know, what I slowly discovered is that yes, he is really trustworthy. And again, it's, it's a, I'm still discovering that. So it's a, it's a long journey. I mean, it's not like the the switch just flips on and all of a sudden, all of your life's problems are solved and everything is solved. I mean, the, it's actually a commitment to God is actually the beginning of the journey, not the end. It's the beginning of another journey. It's the beginning of a more beautiful journey where you, you discover who you are really meant to be. And it's not who you thought you were going to be. So yes, your dreams are probably going to get crushed. My, again, my big fear, <laughs> I was convinced that God was going to uh, make me live in Africa. I, I don't know why that was my big fear. That was my, like, I don't, I was like, if I become a Christian, God is going to make me move to Africa. I just knew it. And I was an atheist and I didn't want to move to Africa because I had no reason to move to Africa. Uh, and I was, I was like, that just makes no sense. It's completely silly. So fast forward a few years, um, I lived for Africa in Africa for about 10 years. And you know what? I'm fine. I made it, you know, and would I, I would not trade it for the world. So my greatest fear came true. And you know what? It was actually pretty cool. So, but so within that one week, what did you change in your life? Like, did you start reading the Bible or praying or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had started reading the Bible for some time because uh, I was just curious, right? So at that point, because of all of the intellectual theological conversations I had had with my American mom and dad, with people in various circles, I had a pretty good grasp of the kind of the basics of the Christian faith. Um, and again, I came at it, like I'm the kind of person, I kind of need to know what I'm getting myself into. And so I was, I had a lot of head knowledge. And so, but I was fighting it. Um, I was fighting it. And so for me, the, the main, it wasn't so much what I started doing. It was more, I stopped fighting it. I stopped in my mind having this wrestling match between what I was reading in the Bible or hearing from my, the equivalent of Jeanette and other people. And in my mind, I was answering it all the time. I was having this debate in my mind all the time between what I was hearing and what I wanted to respond to it. And maybe you can relate to that where you're just, it's a ping pong match where you're always in your mind answering what you're hearing because you are trying to come up with it with solutions from your atheist or agnostic worldview. I stopped doing that is primarily the main thing I stopped doing. I stopped fighting it and I, I made the effort to accept it as truth as opposed to push it back as something I had to fight against. Does that make yeah. sense? It's the main thing I did. So there was no, um, there's nothing in the outer world really that changed and, and, and maybe probably more like a tentative prayer. And I'm, I mean, prayer has such weird overtones, you know, there's nothing to me, praying is just talking with God, right? Like you and I are talking right now. It's, it's casual. 
hey, you know, hey, God, you know, here's what's going on right now. So maybe started, maybe that's what it did. I did start talking to him directly as if he actually was there, as opposed to talking about him with other people all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, God, this week, like I kind of committed to, to behaving as if you're real and as if you actually want a relationship with me and as if everything I've heard in the Bible and from my friends and my American families, as if it's true. So let's, let's, let's act as if it's true and let's talk and let's see what happens. And I started kind of, yeah, just opening a conversation. Uh, and again, I don't like the word prayer because a prayer sounds like it should have an introduction, the middle and a conclusion. And that's not at all. Like it's very unstructured. Um, so yeah, I would say that stop fighting uh, stop fighting in your head and, and start talking to him directly and see what happens. And one week, please, you don't have to stick to a seven day actual one week, right? It's whatever works for you. You know, I don't necessarily recommend one week. I don't know for me, that's what it was, but, uh, whatever works for you. Thank you. Does that help you? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you don't have to go all in just, uh, taste and see. So do you have any thoughts on any of that? Um, well, for me, it's just weird because that doesn't fit in with, like, my life now. So it would be hard to believe it. And just, yeah, my life is set up and I'm fine with that. And I would just change everything. Like mm-hmm. Loani said, I don't know if I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. Well, and too, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that the ocean wouldn't include uh, a boy, but <laughs> to go along with those uh, analogies, right? There's a boy in Leone's mud puddle or, you know, whatever. And uh, I think, Leone, am I right? Is that is there a fear there that maybe God would take that away too? I mean, I don't know. Have you ever? No, no, not really. But it's just not. So God right now is just not part of my plan. <laughs> so like, and also everything that comes with believing, like, I don't know if you have to go to church or not, but like everything that. I, I'm kind of afraid of like any kind of restriction or like extra rules that I would have to follow. We talked about this, I think last episode, maybe I'm just in my teenage phase where I don't want any rules at all. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and I agree. I'm not a big fan of rules even to this day. Um, my daughter actually today is rehearsing for a graduation. So she's exactly the same age as you. She's in, and we're three hours ahead of you on the East coast. And so she's literally rehearsing and has graduation tomorrow morning. Um, so I, I hear you and I'm not a big rule follower. And, you know, when we raised our kids, we didn't have a whole lot of rules. I don't think the Christian faith is about rules because rules are about what you can do to deserve something. Fair enough. If you behave a certain way, you get a certain reward. If you don't behave a certain way, you get a certain punishment. Fair? That is not the Christian faith. That is every other religion out there. Because every, so my husband was a Muslim and became a Christian. I was an atheist and I became a Christian. Atheism, Islam, out of the Eastern religions, my mom's a Buddhist. Um, so out of the Eastern religions, out of the, every, every other worldview out there, will tell you that, yes, there are rules to follow and that it's performance-based. If you perform a certain way, you will get certain rewards. And Leonie and Zoe, you both are currently in a world that is performance-based. You might conform so, to it so well that you, you don't realize there are rules, but they are. 
a lot of rules. And I mean, peer pressure is a big thing, right? I mean, for example, that's a rule. It's not an official rule, but, you know, behaving a certain way to be with your friends, to be with your boyfriend. I mean, these are rules. The world, I mean, whatever system you come under, a system always has rules. Don't fool yourself into thinking there are any rules right now. You are under a lot of rules. The question is, are those, those rules good for you? And the problem is you don't know that another set of rules would be better until you actually try it. What I'm saying is where the Christian faith actually differ is that um, growing up in Europe, I was convinced that the Christian faith was about following a certain set of rules. You do some things and you don't do other things. And that's the Christian faith. Yes. It's not, that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not about rules. The Christian faith is about exactly what we described, which is to open a channel of communication with God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. There is not a single rule to follow. There isn't. I mean, you can technically, if you truly understand what God has done for you, you can do that. I mean, St. Augustine, who is someone who lived in North Africa in the fourth century, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and then do whatever you want. That's the Christian faith. <laughs> you can't do whatever you want if you love God like that. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah. But that's the whole point is that all of a sudden, I mean, if you have a loving relationship with your mom and dad, and I don't know if you do, but let's assume, you know, a child that has a really good relationship with their mom and dad, are they going to go out and do things that are purposefully going to hurt their parents' heart? You're not going to do that because you want, because you have such a great relationship with them that you want to do what makes them happy. So you are going to limit yourself with some of the things you do or don't do, but not in order to deserve something, but because you've already received everything. And so there are no, there's not a single rule in the Christian faith, but because you are in a relationship with someone who has given you everything out of gratitude, you're going to want to do something back, but, but not because you have to. Not because you need to, but because you want to. Because all of a sudden, I mean, if someone gives you an amazing gift, if Janelle hosts you in her house for a year, I mean, you have some gratitude for that, right? So I'm assuming out of gratitude, you're going to want to do things to thank her, not to deserve her housing for a year because that's already done. But because she's housed you for a year, you're grateful to her for some of the things she's done. So you want to say thank you and you want to say it in tangible ways. Yes, mm -hmm. that's how it is with God. He's given you everything. And so what could come across as rules, quote unquote, are actually not. They're the overflow of a heart of gratitude. So in every worldview, every faith system in the world, you have to earn points in order to go to heaven. You know, you got this little picture of this little angel on the left, this little angel on the right, and they're taking score of everything you do. And that's terrifying. I mean, that's hell, literally, because it's, it's horrendous. But the Christian faith is like, we're not taking, I mean, God is not keeping track. He is saying, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted what he has done on the cross, if you put yourself under his uh, stewardship, if you surrender to him, which is both very simple and very hard to do, then you can do whatever you want. But if you truly understand what he has done for you, it's going to shape your personality and your desires so that they're going to be 
to want to, to tell him thank you for what he's done for you. Because it's love. Isn't that what love is? I mean, think of it. Love is always about sacrifice. When you love someone, when you have a boyfriend, when you have a loving relationship with a sibling or a parent, you limit your freedom in order to have a relationship with them. I mean, you're going to take into account their choices, their desires, their preferences, where they want to go out to dinner, uh, what they want to do. Okay, (laughs) their allergies. Yes. So you're going to limit yourself in order to be in relationship with them. Is that a rule you're following or is that something you're doing out of love and gratitude? Something that I'm doing out of love and gratitude. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, I wanted to ask you this question that I I think we talked about with Lou a little bit, but um, I guess it's a two-part question. Um, What did you find most compelling about Christ? Did you ever regret dedicating your life to him? You went back to France where I think you said before no one you knew was a Christian. How did you not end up going right back to your atheistic worldview because it was all around. I mean, how did, how did you, why did you stick with Jesus? Uh, I don't know, (laughs) except by his grace. Like, seriously, that's the thing. Come on. Once you taste, there's no going back. So here's the thing. Here's the hook. Here's the trick, right? Is that my experience is that if you truly taste God, you're going to love him so much. You're not going to want to ever leave him. It's like, Again, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to use chocolate, but once you've tasted really high-end quality chocolate, you don't go back to the cheap stuff. Why would you? Even if, you know, I'd rather have one square of the really good stuff than a whole bar of like that nasty American thing that they call chocolate, right? <laughs> I mean, sorry. Uh give me some good chocolates my husband um was in in europe for business not so long ago and he came back with some really yummy chocolates and the box was like so tiny right but it was so good it was so much better than any supermarket i mean i live in pennsylvania i can't really harp too much on american chocolate but still you know they have those things that they call kisses oh yeah it's gross (laughs) bad (laughs) And, and if, but if that's all you ever know, I mean, poor Americans, girls, Zoe and Leonie, Americans, they have it so, it's so sad. All they know are kisses. I like know. Those little chocolate thingies. I mean, so they, no wonder they don't like chocolate. I wouldn't like that either. And again, you know, I'm saying this tongue in cheek and I know we're recording for the podcast and I'm saying this with humor, but seriously, if you go from kisses and I really hesitate to say the brand, but I think I've made myself pretty clear um, to to like the, the good, you know, German or French or Swiss chocolate. Duh, it's a revelation. So if that's all you've ever known, you don't know any better until you taste the good stuff. Leonie and Zoe, what if all you've even ever eaten is kisses? <laughs> how, how do you know that? I would have hated chocolate. But that's my, well, yes and no, because that, if that's all you had ever known, maybe you would actually like it until you taste the real good stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, uh, I am going back to that. So that's why I never went back to atheism, because why would you go back to cheap chocolate when you've tasted the real deal? Um, as far as how that happened, I would say by God's grace. So here's the thing. I mean, um, this, I mean. The commitment to the Christian faith um, is a two-way street because you're making the decision, but you need to understand that 
you're making that decision because God is inviting you to make that decision, which means he is making much more of a commitment to you than you are to him. And he's saying, I- I'm going to help you through this. Like, uh, it's not like you are going to white knuckle this thing. You know, you're not going to strap yourself by your spiritual bootstraps and make things happen on your own. Because the moment you enter a love relationship, you're in this together. Because you are expecting from the other at least the same level of commitment. Otherwise, that's not a good relationship. Well, that's the thing with God is that what I'm finding out is that he's the one who has invested a whole lot more in this relationship than I have. And even though I feel like I've invested everything, he's invested even more. And so I am the one who gets the better end of the stick every time. So it would be foolish to to give up on that for starters. Like Again, to be very cynical and self-serving it would be stupid to give up on such a deal really and second like the more i get into it the more i realize he's the one who is sustaining me and teaching me and showing me what it means to remain in this relationship with him of which he really is the parent and i am the child if you think of it again in a parent-child relationship the kid of course you know they're committed to their parents but imagine a five-year-old little girl between her and her parents, like who's actually doing all the work in the relationship? The parents are. Except the little girl probably feels that she's doing a lot too, right? And that she's really, and because she is, she has her whole heart into it. She's, you know, she's loving her parents dearly and she is, you know, she's instinctively working on the relationship, but she's not going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, today I'm going to work on my relationship with my parents. She's just not, she just does it. Why? Because she's loved. She's in an environment where the parents are creating the structure so that she can love her parents, right? But the parents are really the ones doing most of the work, but the little girl is oblivious to it. The, the, I think the only way you realize how much love your parents give you is when you become a parent yourself. Like I, I know it sounds so cliche, but it's just really true. And so, and I, again, I had a bad relationship growing up with my parents. So it's not like i I have any kind of earthly order model for that, for that, but so all this to say, to answer your question, Jeanette, over the years, I've realized he's the father and the mother and I'm the child, which means even though I feel like I'm, I'm all in and I am, uh, he's even more all in than I am. And he's the one who is guiding me every step of the way and developing this intimacy with him. Um, I've, I can honestly sincerely say from the depth of my heart um and i value intellectual integrity that he has become my dearest closest relationship and i'm happily married and i have two children that i love to pieces um but the way he is good and kind to me and sometimes in a in a disciplining sort of way uh but in a good way um there's nothing like it it just isn't. So I've been walking with him for close to 30 years and um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Did you have to give up anything in order to follow him? Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Another quote. Um, to choose Jesus doesn't cost you anything. To follow him is going to cost you something. But to choose to truly surrender to him, that's going to cost you everything. But the thing is, he's going to replace it a hundredfold with other things that are better. It's going to cost you the puddle, which is all you know, 
And so you think that's a costly thing, but he's going to replace it with the ocean. And so when you're at the ocean, the puddle doesn't matter quite so much anymore. Um, so yes, um, honestly, most of my nevers have come to pass, all the things I was afraid of. Uh, so my life is not at all what I envisioned it would be when I was 18 years old. Um, so my job, my passion was to, um, I wanted to have a big business career. So I went to a rather prestigious French business school, HEC, Zoe, um, HEC Paris, which is pretty prestigious. It's like the number one business school in France and one of the top business schools in Europe. Uh, it's hard to get into, really hard to get into. So And I thought I would have, basically, when you graduate from that school, you pretty much are guaranteed a prestigious career, except that God moved our family to Africa. And so that never really happened for me. But here's the thing. He has given me so much more than I, I, I honestly had no idea what was out there, what I could do with my life that isn't the flashy, glamorous business career that I was envisioning but there's a depth to it. There's a depth to my life. There's a rootedness. There's a grounding. There's a, uh, a stability. I never knew it was even possible. So yeah, he messes up your plans. He does. Uh, but I can honestly tell you that normally do I have no regrets, but I'm excited for what's ahead because it's going to be good. It might not be what I envision, just like a five-year-old girl. I mean, imagine a little girl on, on Christmas morning. She has a list of presents and her parents give her most of the presents on the list. She has a choice. Is she going to get upset because she didn't get everything on the list or is she going to be grateful that she has what she has and then some things she didn't expect to get? That's how it is with God. You can't, once you surrender, by definition, surrendering means you stop controlling your version of what you think is best for you. And that's hard. But if you've ever had a positive influence in your life by some kind of older role model, a parent, a mentor, a teacher, sometimes they challenged you to do things that you didn't really want to do because they saw something in you that was worth it. And you're glad you did it, even if it wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do. Well, multiply this a hundred times with God, truly. Girls, I'd love your thoughts on that. And then we'll wrap up here with a couple of final questions. Okay, so I have one question. You, you said that you are, or like that you've been a control freak. And you just said that you have to give up like control in order to like surrender to God. Like what was your motivation to give up all the control? So I'm still working on that, right? I mean, it's a process. Um, you discover deeper and deeper layers. At least I do. Um, I think it's more the... Um, once you get to the ocean, uh, you, you get your toe in the water first. You don't dive all in necessarily, right? I mean, some people do, and that's great, but you can just dip your toe in the water and see what it's like. And so I think it's a process of... Um, it can be as practical as asking God, like when you're faced with a decision, instead of going with what you know you think is best is asking his opinion and actually listen to the answer. And if it happens to be not what you thought you should do, 
then you have a choice to make. Are you going to go with what you thought was best? Or are you going to go now with what you think God is telling you is best? That is the real crux. That's where the rubber hits the road. But to start by asking him, by actually inviting his opinion into your life, that's a start, right? Because the moment you start having advisors, quote unquote, you're giving up a measure of control, right? Because you're allowing their opinion into their lives. Well, I would say, uh, consider God your very special advisor. Start there. You'll find out very quickly that um, he doesn't take to the role of advisor very well. Uh, he, because he knows that you need more than advice. <laughs> At least I do. Uh, but that's something he will be very happy to let you discover in time because he's gentle. Here's the thing, God, there's a, an old story in the Old Testament where there's a prophet called Elijah and he's asking to talk to God. He's going through a depression. He's really not doing well at all. Um, and he is asking God to show himself. And the Bible teaches that God didn't show himself in the thunderstorm and in the earthquake and in the whirlwind, but God showed himself as a small, gentle whisper. The voice of God is very meek and gentle. I like to say that God is shy. Sometimes he will like show up with fireworks, but most of the time he's going to show up in a gentle whisper and not in the thunder and the earthquake. Because if he did, then we wouldn't have a choice anymore. If God, I mean, imagine, picture yourself being God for a minute and you want human beings to love you. If you show yourself in all of your splendor, in all of your glory, and like you just blow everybody's minds out, they don't have a choice. Like they have to acknowledge you're there because you're like in their face. That's not love because love is always a choice, which means if God truly wants you to love him, he's going to have to be extremely gentle and shy about it in order for you to have a choice. That means he's shy and gentle. That is why he's not shouting because he wants you to choose him. He doesn't want to force you. Could he? You bet he could, but he wouldn't because that's love. Like, have you ever been able to love someone who has forced you to love them? No. Because love is a choice. God wants you to love him. The thing is, God already loves you. He has chosen you. Otherwise, you wouldn't exist. You think there's a lot of human beings on this planet, but I believe we are only a small fraction of all the humans he could have created. He only created the ones that he wanted to love, which is why every human life is precious, but that's another conversation. But that means if you are alive and breathing on this dust ball of a planet today, it's because God chose to create you because he loves you. He chose that. I mean, love is a choice. He's already committed to you. And he's waiting to see if you'll commit to him, if you'll choose to love him. But again, it cannot be earthquake and thunderstorm. It has to be a gentle whisper because love is always a choice. You have to choose to get up from the puddle and go to the ocean. He won't force you. Okay. Does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. What about you, Zoe? Uh, I really like your answers. They're really easy and clear to understand, especially with all the comparison you made, like with the childhood and stuff. And I really like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
go ahead but <laughs> no I, I don't know it's just i'm thinking about it Stephanie, one last question before we I give you the final question here. But for young women uh, like Zoe and Leonie, uh, what's one piece of advice you would give? I know you've shared quite a bit of from your own story, but any final thoughts to them before I ask the final question? Mm -hmm. What do you have to lose to start talking to God if he doesn't exist? If he doesn't exist, you're talking to the wall. I mean... If the only thing you'll hear back is your, the echo of your own voice. But if he does exist, and if he does love you as much as I'm telling you, as much as Janelle and others have told you, are you sure you want to miss out on that? Are you absolutely sure that controlling your own life is the wisest choice, the most loving choice to yourself that you can make? What if you're missing out? And I would say, start talking to him. Again, if he doesn't exist, you know, you have nothing to lose. But if he does, and if he is in all shyness and kindness and meekness out of respect for you, he has such deep respect for you. He will not force himself on you. There is no such thing as spiritual rape. He will not force himself on you. He is a gentleman who is meek and gentle. He will respectfully ask you every step of the way. He will treat you like a lady because he loves you that much. So what if you started talking to him? Because every relationship starts with, hi, my name is Zoe. My name is Leonie. What's your name? Who are you? What if you say that and you don't feel that he responds? What do you do when you don't feel it? That's one of Leonie's well, questions. You re <laughs> yeah, you remember that he is, he whispers. He doesn't shout. You keep talking to him. And, and, and you dare question your own heart. Are you really not hearing him or are you choosing not to listen because you're afraid of what he's going to say? What if he is talking to you, but you're not willing to hear it because it's not exactly what you think he should be telling you, or you have an idea of what he should be telling you. And that's not what you're hearing. So, and, and I would say, and, and that's very real. Like I seriously, that happens to me all the time. Like I'm asking God something and he and I are on pretty good terms at this point. And it's just like, sometimes I feel he's not answering me or he's not giving me the answer I want. Like, oh, come on, God, like already let's do this thing. Then you go to other people who love him. The next best thing to hearing his voice is hearing his voice through people who hear his voice. And that's where you have to be very um, picky, I think, in the people you choose. And it ha in, in my book, and again, you know, that's my own perspective, I would go to people who love him and who are very intimate with him. And I would ask them to, hey, here's my problem. Um, I'm not hearing from him. What, what do you think he's, he would be telling me? And just listen to that. Um, and, and again, that's hard for you to do because you don't know that you can trust those Christians, quote unquote. But um, God speaks through the gentle whisper of his voice to your heart. And then God also speaks through um, his trusted ambassadors, the ones who have been walking with him for a long time and who really kind of know him well. And that's kind of who you want to emulate to be down the road. I remember having very... Um, 
mature spiritual Christians in my life when I was a young believer. And I would, I was aspiring to become more like them. I would watch their interactions with God and I would say, wow, that's what I want. So surround yourself with people who love God the way you would like to love him eventually. Um, yeah. And you also speak through his word too, which I know, uh, obviously. Yeah. yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. What's your relationship like with your host mom now, Stephanie? Oh, great. So she, um, yeah, we've known each other for, actually, it's funny, um, this summer, I will have, this summer marks the 30th anniversary since I moved in with them. So um, just in a couple of, yeah, 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 just about now, uh, in late summer is when I moved in with with them 30 years ago. Uh, they have been very much a part of our lives. They were in our wedding. They are very involved in our kids' lives when our kids were growing up and, and still today. Um, yeah, we see them almost every year. Yeah. So girls, uh, preview, uh, your dog can get rid of us. <laughs> All right, Stephanie, final question. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity and love real is an acronym for those things restoration eternity authenticity and love all things that i believe and you do as well can be found in relationship with jesus christ which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now and why oh that's hard to choose um yeah the, the closeness of his presence is really um What's sustained? I think it's it's what I was talking about. Just the, um, the the more you grow in your relationship of love with someone, the the dearest it becomes. Um, you know, we all talk about you know falling in love and the, the rush of being in love and the first few months of courting and dating and all of that, and that's all good, but the comfortable intimacy of having of resting in his love in ways that are just so freeing um that's what speaks to me right now i feel like i'm leaning into him in deeper ways than i ever have because uh leonie and zoe i am at this stage of life where i am so utterly convinced that he is trustworthy I mean, I wish I could plug you into my heart for just a second so you could taste how trustworthy I have discovered him to be. I really wish I could do that, but I can't. Um, it's not a hoax. I'm not pitching you anything. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I mean, I have nothing to gain. But you need to hear this too. I mean, Janelle has nothing to gain in you becoming Christians, girls. Like, there's nothing in it for her. She doesn't get, you know, reward points in heaven for that. Like I said, like it, it's all in. It's all, she's already in. It's all included. She's doing it out of love and gratitude, not because she has to, to earn points. And in the same way, when you learn how trustworthy he is, um, it's just really life-changing. And so to rest in his love, uh, you will not ever... on. You will not find a human being or anything in this planet who is as trustworthy as he is. It's like leaning into a very comfortable couch, if you will. And it just, it just contour, it conforms to your contours and it just, it nestles you in. Um, that's the deep intimacy with God and there's nothing like it. Yeah. 
Amen. Well, Zoe, Leone, and Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Uh, what a beautiful conversation. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.